Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step in their shoes. I help women to own their stories, conquer their fears, so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Dr. Shamika Dean. She's an award-winning business owner, YouTube influencer, and an international selling author. She's the number one profit strategist for course creators and online business owners, showing them how to hang up the hustle so they can work when they want to, not because they have to. Shamika's keen prophetic gift sets her apart from those in her niche. She prophetically aligns her clients with God's purpose for their lives, helping them achieve unlimited success in every area of their life. Please welcome to the show, Shamika. Thank you so much. I'm so honored and uh, excited about being here today. (laughs) Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your testimony with us. No, the honor, the privilege is definitely all mine. (laughs) So I love to start the show with an icebreaker question because I believe that as women, we have all these different hats that we wear and all these different titles that we go by. But a title that's not given enough significance is our name because our names have meaning. And every time someone says your name, they're declaring that meaning to you. So I would love to know, Shamika, do you know what your name means? I have absolutely no idea. Ah, okay. So you're in for a treat today (laughs) because I Googled it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And on Google, it says that Shamika means godlike, sovereign, and majestic. Oh, wow. I'll Mm -hmm. take it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So every time somebody says your name, they're declaring that. Awesome. That is so neat. I never even thought to (laughs) look it up, you know. You know, the reason why I make so much emphasis on our names is because growing up, first of all, I hated my first name and my middle name, and (laughs) I I didn't (laughs) learn to appreciate it until I became an adult. So when I was younger, my parents told me that McKinney meant beautiful one. And every time I'd go somewhere, I'd tell somebody my name. And of course, they're like, your name is what? And I'd say it again. And they'd say, oh, well, what does that mean? And I'd say beautiful. And they're like, oh, you know, and then they'd swell my head. And as mm-hmm. I became an adult <laughs> and I learned that a lot of the things that we learn from our parents unintentionally, we need to unlearn and relearn. I actually looked up yes. my name uh, much further than the superficial meaning. And it's Swahili for strength of character. Oh, Wow. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that gave me a stronger affirmation, you know, when people were saying my name and that made me become proud of my name. So now when I right. introduce myself, the first thing I say is my name is Bikini, Rise with Bikini, <laughs> just so people yeah. get that out of the way. <laughs> but I am now proud of my name. And I wanted every woman that I have these conversations with, well, if they didn't already know, like yourself, to feel proud when someone says their name because they're declaring such a strong meaning behind it. Absolutely. That makes, that's very empowering actually. Mm. So I would love to know what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Oh my goodness. (laughs) When I was growing up, I was about, it was around the time when Martin came out and there's that one statement that he makes on the intro where he says this space belongs on the to-do and so (laughs) ever since he when he said that it really registered to me in a way that was just unbelievable because it was just that little statement that made me want to be on tv or in front of people I didn't know Mm. exactly how you know I would show up in front of people but it is so ironic that it was that statement, you know, but I always just felt like I would be in front of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. However, on my journey throughout school, well, where I'm from, we only had a few paths that were considered successful. And that was doctor, lawyer, teacher, or something in the medical field. 
mm-hmm. and then computer technology or information technology. And I chose the route of information technology because I was fascinated with computers. And it was the only choice out of the others that were presented to me that I felt I could possibly be successful in. Mm-hmm. And so I chose uh, computer information technology because of the choices I felt were presented to me. But my in my heart, I always knew that I was supposed to be somewhere speaking or teaching a lot of people. Mm. Share with us how you went from corporate to building a six-figure business. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You you know how you grow up and you have uh, every girl has the dream of getting married and having, you know, maybe two or three children, dogs, white picket fence, you know, the whole Mm -hmm. American dream. And my name is Shamika, right? So growing up, I was told that I would never be in corporate America because of my name, because my name was considered too what's the word I want to use here? (laughs) I already know what you're trying Um, to say because I had trouble always getting a job. My name on that resume, every job I ever had was given to me through someone I know or a connection because they look at that name on the resume and they're like, "Mm -mm, that name is too urban. (laughs) Yes, too urban. And so I had that stigma and that, you know, that bondage uh, that I would never really be able to get an office job or any job in corporate America because of my name. Mm -hmm. So I ended up at this corporate job, which was a financial institution because uh, my husband was military. So he was stationed in this area and that's the job that hired me. I went up the ladder fairly quickly. I surpassed people that had been on the job for years. Um, I surpassed them in just my productivity and um, the normal, they have like this tier where you have to stay at this particular job level for a certain amount of time before you can advance to the next. But because my performance was so high, I was able to keep getting exceptions. And so I will never forget, I was sitting at my desk. It was in 2010. I was sitting at my desk and I heard the voice of God say, it's time to go. Mm. And initially I said, oh, okay, well, maybe he just wants me to go home early for the day. Right. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I asked, (laughs) I asked my manager, I said, Hey, I need to go home. And I didn't want to lie. So I just said, you know, Hey, something came up. I need to go home. And I left, went home. I'm still puzzled. I'm just like, okay, I don't really get why I needed to be at home. Maybe someone was going to try to break in my house or something. And God just had me to come home, right? Mm-hmm. So I went back to work the next day. Same thing. Sitting there, it's like the voice got louder. It's time to go. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't go home <laughs> two days without an explanation, right? Right. God, you got to tell me what does this mean? And he says, it's time for you to leave this job. Now, at this particular time, I'm just like, this has to be the enemy because God in heaven knows I don't have anything to fall back on. And that's how we always want to move in life, right? Let's Mm -hmm. get a plan B. Let's have that backup plan, right? But faith is not about the backup plan. Faith is is just plan A. That's what it is. That's right. So... Right after that, probably about, you know, it may have been a month, I got a promotion making the most money I had ever made, didn't have to apply for the job. They literally called me into the executive wing and said, hey, we've been watching you. We've seen how you've done this, da, 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 da. We want to offer you this management position. Wow. So I'm like, I knew it was the enemy. There's no (laughs) way God would tell me to quit my job knowing that I was about to get the biggest raise of my life mm-hmm. with the schedule I wanted and everything. It was literally everything that I had prayed for since I had started working that job. So this is in 2010. Around the beginning of 2012, everything on my job went haywire. I mean, people that I was friends with and had prayed with and prayed for and went to bat for to get them raises. I'm telling you, it was as if the whole department said, let's isolate Shamika. Wow. Let's turn on Shamika. And I remember going home days and days just crying, boohoo crying, telling my husband, 
you know, I don't know, I'm going to have to leave this job, you know, so I started applying for other jobs. My husband had just gotten out of the military around that time. So I really was not in a position to where it was a wise decision to quit my job. Mm -hmm. So God told me again, he said, it's time to go. So it was like that reminder, like I told you it was time to go, right? Mm -hmm. So I told my husband, I said, hey, I said, I know God is telling me to leave this job. I am certain now everything is basically pointing me out of the door. And so my husband said, well, you can't quit because if you do, you won't get any unemployment. And right now we really need that. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, you have to just make them fire you. And I said, I'm not going to do that because then it will prevent me from getting another job. So I'm not going to do that. God just has to work it out. So mm-hmm. the next morning I went in, long story short, went in, I prayed. I said, God, you have to give me a way out. I sat at my desk, McKinney, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I, sat <at> my de- <laughs> I sat at my desk. He said, pull up the call log. And he told me the date to go to. He told me the call to click on. It was recorded calls because I worked in the call center Mm -hmm. and I was the assistant manager. And so he said, pull up the call logs, click on this call, click on this call. I heard the HR director at the time and my manager plotting on how they were going to get me fired. Oh, wow. I heard the recording. I'm sitting here and I'm just like, oh my God. So at this time I'm boiling. And he said, you cannot say a word. I'm giving you a way out. Mm-hmm. I said, but they're going to ruin my reputation. Like they're going to prevent me from being able to get another job. He said, I'm giving you a way out. Mm-hmm. So I packed all of my things up and I started moving all my stuff out, you know, slowly. I didn't want anybody to know. So I kind of waited and I would take some of my stuff home little by little. So it was time for me to do my annual review to determine, you know, what my next raise would be, da, 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 da. So she said, my manager says, hey, we're not going to do your review in here. We're going to go into the executive wing so that we can have, you know, some uninterrupted time because I know if we stay in here, they're going to keep coming to us. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. I will never forget as I was literally going around that corner that when I stepped into the executive wing, it was like night and day. It was almost like I stepped into doom, like the whole atmosphere mm-hmm. shifted. And I walked around the corner, the HR director is sitting there and I'm just like, wow. Cause I'm remembering the phone call, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. But in my mind, I'm still trying to be optimistic. So I'm like, man, maybe they're about to, you know, give me a raise, you know, give me a big <laughs> raise, another position. <laughs> so they're going over my review. By the time they get to the end, the HR director says, hey, to stay in this, in this position, you have to get a 3.0 to maintain your position. Unfortunately, you've been rated a 2.98. Really? (laughs) I was was like, is that that calculation even accurate? You know, a 2.98. And so she said, normally we would give you, put you on a probationary period and allow you to get where you need to be to keep your position. But we decided, you know, at this particular time that we're going to terminate your position effective immediately. Oh, wow. Yeah. I said, I've been waiting on this. Thank you so much. <laughs> and <laughs> and they're looking at me like, so she said, well, you know, by protocol, we have to escort you out of the building for safety reasons. I said, I mm-hmm. promise you, I'm not going to tear anything up. I said, I only have my heater and a picture of my children still left on my desk. I packed myself weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, what? You know, so they feel confused. And that's what happened. I thought that day I was going to get a raise and I was actually terminated. But the entire time God was preparing me and he allowed me to become very uncomfortable to catapult me into my destiny. I know he doesn't put things on us, you know, but he does allow the discomfort to happen if we're not in alignment, you Mm -hmm. know, with his purpose for our lives. And that's exactly what happened. He just allowed everything around me to get uncomfortable. And it literally pushed me out and catapulted me into my destiny. Wow. And so, I mean, since then, you've built your YouTube channel and you went from zero to, what, 30,000 followers in a short period of time. And you've coached over 3,000 clients in two years. Like, how did you manage to do all that? I tell people that I got started with a story. 
if you have a story to tell, you have a product to sell. Right. And that's literally how my entire, that's how my business was birthed. And that's how my business has continued to grow up throughout the years. So the story that I had to tell, because what happened is I was looking for jobs after I got terminated. And a friend of mine, she didn't know what situation we were in financially or anything. She just knew that I had just lost my job. And so she said, hey, um, there's an apostle in from Chicago. And she said, I think you'd like him. She said, you know, you want to go to Bible study with me? I said, sure. So that Bible study and the apostle was standing there and he kept staring at me. He was praying, but he would stop and he would stare at me. And so finally he said, y'all forgive me. He said, but I have to do this because I can't. He said, he, he said, God would not allow me to move forward until I release this word to you. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I don't know who you are. He said, but this is the word of the Lord concerning you. You've been applying for jobs. He said, you've literally applied for over 100 jobs by now. He said, and no one has called you back because God says that you will be the CEO of your own company. Mm. So you will never work for someone else again. And I just knew the man was a false prophet. I was just like, yeah, he's a false prophet because clearly God (laughs) is not going to give me Clearly, he must have the wrong Shamika, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because I had no business skills. I didn't know the first thing about starting a business. I I didn't have anything to sell. You know, I wasn't good with my hands. So I'm just like, he's the false prophet and I need to get out of here now. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm thinking in my mind. So I went home and I told my husband what he said, but I couldn't get what he said out of my mind. It just stuck. And so I said, God. If that word was from you, then you're going to have to tell me what type of business am I supposed to start? Because I don't have any business skills. Mm -hmm. He said, but you have a story. Tell your story. And the story that I had was about my husband and I being divorced and then getting remarried. No one knew that story outside of our close family and friends. So, okay, so now media. I want to know that story <laughs> <laughs> because I need to know. <laughs> yes. So my husband and I have been married for seven years and we ended up going through a divorce. So I wrote a book about it, too. That's how my, that's the international selling author part. That's where that came in at. Yeah, because so I'm about that book. We, <laughs> So we, we were married, you know, seven years and we had actually been separated for about a year and a half. And then we finally divorced. Our divorce was official for only five months. We'd already been separated over a year and a half. When we divorced in February, so I got my divorce papers finalized. It was Valentine's Day when I got them out of the box. So everybody else is out celebrating love. I go in the house and I just hit the floor. My knees just hit. The, hit the floor and I said God how did I get here because my life was in shambles at this point like so much was going on and he said because you were a single married woman now I was a little bit taken back because I thought God was going to say it's going to be okay whatever you know I thought mm-hmm. it was some comfort but he whipped me real good in that moment <laughs> he said <laughs> You are a single married woman. He said, you had his last name, but nothing about you changed. Mm. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, mm. my God. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> like, oh, oh, wow. So I said, well, God, I need you to show me what to do because I never want to experience this type of pain again. Mm-hmm. And that began the journey of God revealing to me, first of all, the mindset that I had as it pertains to to marriage, some wounds that were still there that helped to, you know, be a part of the demise of my marriage. And then he showed me my ugly self, you know, just a lot of things that I was doing, saying the way that I was acting. Oh, my God. And throughout that process, so we got divorced in February. In March, on the way to my son's grandfather's funeral, I was 
caught in the winds of um, a tornado. So I suffer a spinal injury. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like a walking testimony. Miracle. Girl. (laughs) Yes. So I had had that injury. So it was me and all of my children were together. But that's a whole nother story. We'll have to talk about (sighs) that another day and how God saved our lives. Um, Wow. But I ended up being thrown to the ground. And the way that I feel, it shifted my spine to the right. Oh, wow. he had come to pick the kids up for the weekend. I was in bed, so he didn't know that I had been injured or anything and had been off work. And he asked the kids where I was. They said she's in bed because her back is hurting. And so they tried to explain to him what happened, but he walks upstairs. And as he's walking, he sees me crawling on the floor into the restroom. And so, <laughs> and so he said, Shamika, I know we're divorced. I know you probably don't want me here. He said, but you are the mother of our children and you can't take care of them right now. He said, you can't even take care of yourself. He Mm -hmm. says, let me take care of you until you can get back, you know, where you need to be. And I told him, I said, no, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't want you here. I don't need your help. He said, Shamika, you are on the floor crawling to the bathroom. You need help. And so he said, listen, I will not bother you. I won't come in the room. I'll sleep in the guest room and I'll just be here to do what needs to be done for the kids and take, you know, and help you until you're you know, in a better place. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. So he started, he was cooking, cleaning, taking care of the kids. He was bathing me and everything. That's a good man. And he basically, yeah, he basically nursed me back to health. And so when I was, you know, better, he got ready to leave. Like he said he was, you know. And my baby boy said, Daddy, isn't mommy beautiful? And so <laughs> um, my husband said, yes, yes, she is, son. Your mom, your mom is very beautiful. And my son said, well, why don't you take her on a date? And that's <laughs> Kids literally. Kids such instigators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my son was the instigator. This, and so from there, we started dating. Wow. Yeah, we started dating. And that began the restoration process in our marriage. Wow. <laughs> Look at God. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> God humbled you in that moment. And wow. You got to see a different side of him. You guys got to reconnect through your healing. That is beautiful. Now that you remarried, how many years has it been since you've been remarried? Uh, it will be eight in June. God so bless you. In, yeah. So in June, it will be um, we'll be back together eight years. Yeah. Wow. That is So beautiful. we just renewed our vows again. So since we divorced after seven years, we renew our vows now every seven years from that. <laughs> That's beautiful. From that date. Yeah. So that we just is beautiful. Our, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a huge lover of love. So stories like this, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> So seeing as your kids instigated everything, like how has motherhood changed you and your view on life? One thing about motherhood is I'll tell, I tell everyone that my daughter saved my life. I was a, I'm a, was a 15 year old mom. So when I got pregnant with my daughter, I was literally on a path of destruction. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to end my life, not necessarily taking it, but I didn't care what happened. Mm-hmm. I had been raped twice by the time I was 10 and I was in an abusive relationship at the age of 14 years old. Wow. Um, and I dealt with, you know, rejection. My dad, my biological father lived two minutes driving distance away from me and never came to see me. He had another family, wife, children. And I was at a point of kind of no return. Like I started fighting a lot and my mom was just like, she was so afraid that I was, she was going to get a phone call that I was dead or in jail. That's what she told me. She said, you know, I fear that the way that you're going, that I'm going to get a phone call that you are either dead or in jail. Mm-hmm. And, and so shortly after that, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. And it was like God gave me life to give me life. Mm-hmm. So it just changed everything. I knew in that moment that if I didn't love myself enough to live for me, that she deserved, you know, me to live for her. And everything changed. I Every move I made, it was about what's better for her, what's best for her, you know, what's going to make her life better. So I started to set goals and have real aspirations. And 
I started changing, you know, the people that I hung around and those types of things, because I knew that if I didn't, you know, then someone else would be raising my daughter mm-hmm. or I would have a child out here in the world that would one day grow up and could possibly hate me. And that's something that I didn't want to live with. So motherhood has taught me. I tell anyone, if you really want to be effective in ministry, get married or have children. <laughs> like, <laughs> like hands down. Yeah. I have to laugh. Get married. You know, I've done both. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but yes, I, when you speak uh-huh. about how motherhood changed you um, as a teen mom, and I'm I'm sitting here in silence listening because I had goosebumps. I could totally resonate with everything that you said. So I had my first child at 17 and I won't go into my whole backstory. I, at a young age, was also suicidal because my mom was in an abusive relationship and the silent trauma that I dealt with or how I dealt with that, you know, was trying to cut and do certain things from like the age of 12. So my mindset on life, like I didn't care. And I had met my daughter's father when I was 14 just before my 15th birthday. So we were together since then. And then I got pregnant at 17, but my view on life completely changed at that point. And, you know, I'm not an advocate for teen pregnancy, but I have spoken to so many women that turned their life around at that point because life was no longer just about you. You know, it's about mm-hmm. the the other human being that you're bringing into this world and legacy that you want to leave and how you want to impact them and the other lives around you. It's like, a switch goes off or something, which is, you know, part of why I'm so passionate about going into shelters and facilities for teen moms and coaching them and showing them that there is so much more out there. But hearing how that changed your life, that totally resonated with me on every single level. And I'm sorry that all of those bad things happened to you, but look at who you are today, the impact that you're making now. What has been the largest takeaway for you from everything that's happened to you up until this point? Uh, the largest takeaway for me up until this point is that, and I'd say this is something that I've taught my children, is that life is all about perception. Mm-hmm. You know, every problem, every uh, setback, every obstacle, every ch- trial, it's all about perception. It's about how you choose to look at what happened, you know, not negating the fact that it happened to you, but understanding your power to choose how you will allow it to affect you, affect you or to shape you. Mm-hmm. So my biggest thing was understanding that I always have the power to choose how I'm going to respond, how I'm going to move forward from this. And I don't have to allow what happened to me to dictate my destiny. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, what you said about what you teach your children, it's something that I believe in as well Is you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change and they do. Yes. And then when you said that you had, you learned to, to respond, there's another saying that I say to myself every time something happens. (laughs) Yes. I was just about to say that, make sure that I respond and not react. So instead of reacting out of emotion, because that's not good. Respond with um, wisdom. To, to, yes, with absolutely. Wisdom. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, what inspires you the most about what you do? What inspires me the most is when I get an inbox or an email or a comment on social media from someone saying things like, I didn't give up because of you, or mm-hmm. what you said changed my life, or, you know, I'm watching you and you're giving me the courage. You know, so it's it's those types of things. It is the impact that inspires me the most. Mm -hmm. So I've always told God, if it's not going to transform lives, I don't want to do it. I just do not believe in doing things because they're popular or profitable. I do them because they're purposeful. And so if it's not an alignment with my purpose and it's not impacting the life of someone else, it is, to me, it is absolutely useless. Mm -hmm. I agree um, with you. yeah, so the impact, you know, when I when I help someone that reads my book and says, I had my divorce paper signed and I tore them up after reading your book or, <laughs> you know, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, or I attended a conf, you know, attended your conference and I was on the verge of suicide and now I'm living and I'm thriving. Like those types of things are absolutely priceless. You cannot put a price tag on that type of impact, you know, Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. people, they may forget what you said, but they do not forget how you make Make them them feel. Yep. Absolutely. They don't forget that. And so when people, you know, message me and I don't care how, it's never small to me if someone tells me that I impacted their lives. There's Mm -hmm. nothing small about it. No matter how minute it may seem to the next person, to me, it's always major. Because it's a blessing to be a blessing. It is because he could have chosen anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, he could have chosen anyone else. But he says, hey, I'm going to take this girl from a country town, a population of 4,000 people, and I'm going to use her to impact lives all over the world. That is Mm. major, you know, it's major to me. I think a lot of people take that for granted. To even have an audience of one is something that you should take for granted because however you impact that one person's life can be a ripple effect of how they go on and continue to impact other people's lives. The smallest thing can mean the world to somebody else. Absolutely. Because one life changes a legacy that I Mm -hmm. think that we understand how powerful it is that when we change one life, we're changing a legacy. We are rerouting someone from destruction and we are breaking generational curses and we are able to impact lives for the greater good, you know, and to advance the kingdom of God and we are changing a legacy where at one point they could have had a legacy of abuse or they could mm-hmm. have had a legacy of poverty. But you came through and you operated in your power and in your purpose. And now you have created a, a legacy of prosperity, uh, a legacy of peace, of happiness, like those types of things. And when people ask me about the increase and all that stuff, I said, listen, I was faithful over few. I was yes. faithful when I had one follower. I was faithful when I had two and I treated them like they were VIP celebrities. Yes. Right? That's just how I always look at it like that. And I'm very grateful that people would even take the time to listen to anything that I have to say. Mm-hmm. That's a lot for a person to, to attend their ear unto you, you know, uh, yes. and, and it's, it's a blessing and it really is. You know, um, even as you say that I've had a few, Uh, guests on the podcast that have helped affirm some things for me because with social media, let's say, you know, when Instagram first became popular, I was one of those people who was posting like three, four times a day, but putting out positivity, putting Mm -hmm. light and value into the world. And moments where I didn't feel like it and I'd stop, I would get messages saying, hey, like, you know, your post inspired Mm -hmm. me where, you know, I didn't see you post today or, you know, your post is helping me get through blah, 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 blah. So I started to realize that this is way beyond me. So even when I didn't feel Mm -hmm. like it, I was still consistent with doing my best to make an impact and to inspire. And when I learned the beauty of podcasting and how you're in someone's ear, they're listening to what you were saying on a deeper level. It's a deeper connection than say Instagram, for example. And when I look at the metrics of the women who are like the, the numbers of people that listen every week to every episode. I actually get emotional and it makes me cry because it's like I I built a, a ministry of sharing testimonies, but you sharing your testimony can affect whatever percentage of the amount of listeners that are listening, but you are making an impact on somebody's life because they may not have thought it was possible to heal from whatever they went through with their ex to be able to reconcile that and to rebuild and reconnect, or they may not have thought it was possible to get through an injury and see that you have, and now you're, you know, impacting lives. Like just hearing your testimony allows people to see what is possible so that they can get up from whatever they're doing or feeling and do more and be more and have more and serve more. So it's like, it's such an honor, not only to have these conversations, but to know that people are listening and the feedback I get is so emotional to me when women slide into my DMs, letting me know, Oh my God, I was listening to this episode and I was crying because, you know, it's just, it's so precious to me. It's it's such, it's a blessing, you know, an honor. Like that's why I tell people, I said, listen, tell your story Mm -hmm. because your story is literally what's going to save lives, you know, saving your life first and and you share your story it saves the lives of so many other people 
you know, mm-hmm. and so I had to remember that I couldn't allow shame to be my, my portion, you know, right. I had to say, Hey, listen. And so I, I had to ask God, heal me from any shame, any guilt, um, any residue, you know, that would even lead to me hiding in shame because mm-hmm. someone somewhere needs this. And if you're telling me to tell it, then you have to protect me and you have to um, keep me and make sure again that I'm not being bound by the guilt and shame. And I'm so raw and transparent in my book. One of my taglines is real raw and relatable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so raw in my book until women are like, oh my God. But it's like <laughs> you were telling me about me as me, I'm reading yes. your book. Yes, they feel like you're telling their story. So your story (laughs) may be about you, but it isn't only for you because there are so many women out there that are afraid to tell their story. They're afraid to use their voice and you opening up and sharing your testimony in such a transparent way, which is the same, you know, feedback that I've been getting about mine is they feel like you're telling their story and they're grateful that you are because they're no longer ashamed and shame loves secrecy. So when we shed light on the story and we are open and transparent and honest and authentic about it, you build a community and you surround yourself with a community of other women who share the same feelings as you and you guys can lift each other up. You, You know what I mean? It's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And that's, you know, that's what I had to realize is that there's a difference between privacy and secrecy. You know, mm-hmm, absolutely. privacy is something that you want to protect, but secrecy is what you're ashamed of. Yep. And so, you know, you have to make a decision to say, hey, you know, I'm not going to be ashamed of this. And that's what we have to understand, too, is that the enemy can only hold you hostage to things that you are not healed from, mm-hmm. you know. And so I just chose to heal. And a part of my healing was me being willing to write that book and share truth. And literally, if you go and read the, the testimonies, it's amazing to me, even now when I go back and read testimonies, I'm just mm-hmm. like, wow, mm-hmm. wow, you know. But I literally have had women say, I had signed my divorce papers and I tore them up after reading your book. Like to hear stuff like that, it's just mind blowing. Right. So what's one thing that you wish people knew about Shamika? My heart is always to see women healed whole walking in their power in their purpose in peace and in prosperity mm, that's, I love that's, it. that's my heart when I look at a woman and I see you she's broken my heart breaks too because mm-hmm. I'm like do you know how powerful you are do you know how amazing you are do you know that you could do all these amazing things and you know I just want people to if they know any nothing else about me my legacy is only this, is that her heart was to see women healed, whole, and walking in, you know, in their power, their peace, their purpose, and their prosperity. That's, I love my, it. that's the core of my heart. I love it. Have you had any coaches or mentors that have helped you along the way? I've had people throughout my life, not any that have been like longevity, I guess. I've had some that have been there for, you know, a few years, but what I know about God is me being in the grit and the dirt and the grind of building my relationship with him because I grew up unchurched. So I tell people that all the time. I don't know God because somebody told me about him or because mm-hmm. I sat in Sunday school every Sunday. I know God for real because mm-hmm. I had to find him for myself. Right. Mm. <laughs> and it's the one of the most challenging journeys ever, but it is so worth it because there's this intimacy that I have with God that is nobody can take that away from me. And I feel like sometimes it, you know, that's not the case for everyone. Right. And as far as mentorship, as it pertains to like business, my mom was, is, has always been a go-getter. She didn't necessarily take me by the hand and teach me, but she taught me by action. So I watched her, I watched her grind. I watched her, start from the bottom and, you know, achieve success. I watched her not allow people to tell her who she could and couldn't be mm-hmm. and what she could, could and could not do. And so I think that she would be what I would consider a passive mentor. If you, you know, if right. I could give it a name, um, yeah. she would be a passive mentor for me because like I said, I saw my mom build and just go and do these things that no one else in our family had ever done. And I learned just by watching, you know, just by seeing her in that vein and showing up. And I mean, my mom is an amazing woman. I've watched her survive stage four lung cancer. 
Wow. I mean, I've watched her, you know, defeat the odds. I've watched her work three jobs to take care of her children, you know, after going through a divorce. And so when I saw her build her business like she did, you know, it's just inspirational because she set that blueprint and that foundation. And every time someone told my mom what she couldn't do, she she did it. Like yeah, she that's like me. It. Watch me. You know? <laughs> like <laughs> oh, you I'm think not I can? Tell okay. You. <laughs> yeah, but just watch me, right? So I watched my mom pull a motor out of a car and a transmission and drop a new one in it by herself. I watched wow. this lady do this. I so you know I watched her build a house from with nothing but the frame. I've watched this lady build a whole house. I've watched her do our nail do nails and hair and sew clothing on the weekends to make sure that we had an amazing Christmas and we had nice homes and didn't have to live in impoverished neighborhoods and stuff. So I mean that's my mentor. Whether she mm-hmm. sat me down and said this is how you do it or not, that's what I learned. What yeah, I learned. Some things how, are taught and some things are caught. Yep, that's it. Yeah. And I caught it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what does your self-care routine look like? You know, you're because you're a mom and a wife and you're uplifting and doing so many things. Like, what does your self-care routine look like? How do you take care of Shamika? Because I have set a boundary that I may be available, but I'm not always accessible. Um, mm. And so I tell my kids, like, yes, mommy may be available. Her door may be open but she may not be accessible to you in this moment because I may not be accessible mentally or emotionally or spiritually, or, you know, at one time financially, I was not available. So I need you to understand that. And I need you to be okay with it because I'm okay with it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is how I have to preserve myself. And so I taught my kids that the only way that I can be the best to you is if I'm the best to me first. So I can't love you any farther than my capacity to love myself. Right. So I have to be able to, you know, to have time by myself and explaining that time alone doesn't mean that mommy doesn't want to be with you. That's not what time alone means. It means that mama needs some time to herself so that she can be better when she's with you. Right. And my friends and my family know, do not call me before 9 a.m. or after 9 p.m. <laughs> me too, girl. <laughs> If it's not an emergency, you know, don't call me. So I'm available. I tell them I am available, but I'm not accessible to you because there are times when I don't have enough in me to give you anything. And so we're supposed to pour from our overflow, right? From our saucer, not from our cup. Because once I start pouring from my cup, I'm depleting myself. And now I'm giving you fuel. So where I'm supposed to be empowering you, I'm now poisoning you. So that Mm. means that, I got to make sure my cup stays full. So that's why I'm not always accessible because I got to get in this place so that I can stay full. I and love that's how I live that. my life. I love that your self-care routine involves so much boundaries because again, something I resonate with is how I know like we connect, we align. <laughs> boundaries are big to me and that is how I practice self-care. So I have the same boundaries as you where don't call me before 9 a.m. because I'm not answering. Even if you text me before mm-hmm. 9 a.m., I'll be very selective if I answer. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I have my notifications turned off for social media off my phone. I do not have Facebook Messenger on my phone. So boundaries, because people have access to me on so many different platforms, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, yes. Facebook, text, WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, I may be available, but you don't have access to me. So People can message me on Facebook if they want to, but I will respond when I log in from a computer when I am ready. I don't need a million notifications coming to my phone. And the same goes for my children. You know, I I may be home and my door may be open, but I may not be accessible to you right now in this, in this moment. So I resonate with all of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's a learning because as women, we've been made to believe that it is selfish of us to take care of ourselves, that it's wrong for us not to sacrifice our sanity for everyone around us. Mm-hmm. And it's so untrue. It's, it's yep. erroneous teaching. And we give so much. We give life. You know, we give so much. And we are the ones that were never taught how to take care of ourselves. Yeah, we, we were so busy take care of, taking care of everyone else. And then you have women that are battling with depression because of the guilt that they yep. have for trying to take care of themselves. And I think that teaching 
our children that early on and teaching them how to set boundaries, healthy boundaries and things mm-hmm. like that is so important because I didn't have that. And I used to be called mean when I was growing up because I just stopped letting people guilt me into doing things that I didn't want to do. So my no was no. And I'm just like, and they're like, well, why don't you want to do it? I don't have to explain that to you. Right. You don't owe anybody an explanation. I am big on that one. And I am like, I am queen of no. Yeah, it's a complete sentence. And I don't have to explain to you why I don't want to do that. You do, though, have to respect the fact that I don't want to do it. Absolutely. You know? And so. Yeah, when I learned the power of no, oh my God, I utilize it so much so in um, <laughs> boundaries. <laughs> boundaries are a blessing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So <laughs> I, I have this random question that I ask every woman that comes on the show because I came across okay. this article. And basically the article, um, it lets you know what your favorite shoe says about your personality. And okay. because mm-hmm. I... I appreciate shoes. (laughs) (laughs) So I would love to know, Shamika, what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it like a boot, a running shoe, a flip-flop, a stiletto, a wedge, a mule, a pump? I don't know. My favorite favorite shoe shoe is definitely a pump leto. (laughs) Okay. A pump leto. (laughs) Pump leto. (laughs) A pump leto. Because <laughs> I'm kind of midways. I'm not always, you know, I'm not a stiletto girl, but I'm not a usher board girl. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing kitten heels or, you know, anything like that. And I don't like wide heels. I don't like the um, wedges or anything. But, yeah, so I'm I'm like a pump leto. I'm like in between a pump and stiletto girl. Okay. That, that's, so my, that's my go-to shoe. <laughs> hmm. Pump fans are boss women. Uh, let's see. Okay. Says you're a total girl boss and you know it. You're competitive, resolute, and intimidating to those who can't keep up with your pace. This is the most mature of all the shoes. It's someone who is caring, efficient, and powerful. They're usually in a leadership role. When everything is falling down around you, everyone will turn to the pump woman and say, what now? And then the pump will step in and kick ass and take care of business. Does that sound like Yeah, that pretty much <laughs> Pretty much sums up my whole life. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So (laughs) before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online. Uh, YouTube at Shamika Dean and Next Level Business Academy are my two YouTube channels. One is where I do mainly ministry and the other one I focus specifically on marketplace and business. And all other platforms, Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, all uh, Dr. Shalika Dean. Awesome. So I will have the direct links to all of your platforms in the detail section so they can just click and connect with you directly. They won't have to search too far. Okay. And my website is my name, of course, ShamikaDean.com. Yeah, that'll definitely be there. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And I just ask a couple of reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. My all-time favorite book, the one that changed my life the first, um, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Mm. Kiyosaki. Mm. Um, Okay. Completely shifted the way that I think. It literally transformed my thinking process from that book forward. I think that's what literally, as far as it pertains to business and life and how I learned about life is about perspective, Mm -hmm. that book is what was pivotal and me developing that mindset. Okay. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Definitely Times Square um, mm-hmm. is where, you know, because that's where all the big stuff happens. And it would definitely have my name on it. And the number one profit strategist would definitely be on there because that's my legacy. That's what I'm going to be wildly and successfully known. Uh, yes amen amen i had um i had a billboard in times square february 2019 and i was like yes this is gonna be my year and then what six days later i had to have a hysterectomy and my whole year i spent on my back healing (laughs) in bed from complications after the surgery (laughs) 
So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It, it's fine. I needed a, a rest and, and restoration year. And although 2020 right. right now, I don't know what kind of year this is, is turning out to be. This this month has been way too long. <laughs> but but yeah. 2020 came in and shot. I think it shot so many, <laughs> um, you know, because I think people's expectation of 2020 was so different than how it has began. But again, like I said, I believe it's all perspective. And I can just see that the rise that you'll have is going to so far outweigh what you even planned and anticipated. Amen. God just allowed you to pull back to redirect, you know, Amen. to redirect, reroute you. And you are literally experienced. Like I literally see like rain just falling on you, just soaking you in mm-hmm. favor in the doors uh, that God has, that he's going to open for you, the magnitude and the stages, the platforms that you'll grace. The podcast was the segue, but it was not the cement. So it, mm. it's not, you, does that make sense? Yep. So yep. definitely, you know, the segue uh, to what you're going to do and how you're going to impact so many lives. You being willing to highlight and, and showcase the gifts and talents of other women, those same women, the way that you've helped women, women are going to come in that same capacity to elevate you. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that promotion comes from God, but what I'm saying yep. is so you're going to have such an outpour of support that next big project that you want to do, don't worry about support because those seeds that you've sown are going to sprout up women from all over the world mm-hmm. to come together to make sure that your vision does not fail or falter. Amen. I receive it. Woo. Wow. Yeah. Amen. And on that note, <laughs> I want to thank you, Shamika, not only for that word and for speaking into my life, because you have no idea how much I appreciate that, but I want to thank you for sharing your story and your, your gems with us. I truly, truly appreciate you. Thank you so much. This is such a privilege and honor and I just want, I just can't wait to see your face on major and more billboards. So I will be able to say, hi, Amen. On her podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we will both be on billboards by 2021 girl. Okay. <laughs> yes. Let's do this. Let's keep changing the world. Yes. Amen. Amen. And to all of you faith walkers Amen. out there until next time, subscribe on all platforms and rate and review the show on Apple podcast. Join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awakamystilettos.com and be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you can think of one person that would receive value from Shamika's testimony, share it with a friend share her testimony screenshot this week's episode and tag us on instagram you can tag myself at the real mckinney smith and you can tag shamika at and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling